0: All right, hello everybody, I'm the insurance exam queen. I'm gonna be walking uh, people through the property and casualty, some of the most tested concepts from the state exam. And um, I have years of experience doing this. Uh, I worked for ExamFX, which is one of the largest insurer, or one of the largest pre-licensing provider companies out there, traveled all around the country teaching these different state exams. I have a very high success uh, pass rate for people who take the exam. Um, I'm doing this on my own now to be able to help as many people as I can. You can, you know, attend these boot camps, but you can also buy recordings. You can also use my YouTube channel, which is free, and also my Facebook page, which has a lot of free resources. So lots of information available to help people to be able to pass. Okay, the first thing that we want to talk about is knowing that your state exam is unique and different. Um, Every state is different. So as an example, let me show you here. This is, um, every state shows their exam breakdown, how much they're gonna test each chapter. So one of the things that we kind of miss out on when we're beginning our studies is when we get our online course, we think every chapter matters and that we need to study it and know it well, but this is not the case. We don't need to know and study every single chapter as well as all the other chapters. So what I like to do here is, this, so this is just showing you, um, and everyone has access to like this one. So like if you were to go to examfx.com, they're the company I used to work for, and you click on insurance, view state requirements, they will show every state that's available. So we're gonna talk about Michigan since Hassan is from Michigan. And hello, JL, if you can let me know what state you're in, that would be awesome. You can either put it in the the, chat box or just unmute yourself and let me know so like for instance right here we have Michigan and we're talking about PNC so they show us you know the the breakdown of each chapter now this is only like one piece of understanding your exam breakdown and this is what's available to everybody to see you can see this on examfx.com pick your state So you see like 11% of the exam will come from general, 20% will come from PNC basics, 2% will come from dwelling. And dwelling is probably like 30 pages long. And if you think you need to study those 30 pages to be prepared for the exam, uh uh-uh, not in Michigan. It's only 2%. Out of 150 questions, only 2% of them will be on dwelling. You don't even need to study that chapter like at all. In Michigan, every state is different. So one of the things I like to do in addition to um, knowing the exam breakdown is, well, how many pages do I have to read to get that? So let's take a look, for example, at a South Carolina one. Um, Dwelling policies, for instance, they're only 5% and, and you have to read 15 pages to get ready for that 5%, which means that each page is not that valuable each page is only worth about half a question so with all of us um and is this making sense so far like so what i do here is i say okay if general insurance is seven percent of the exam how many questions is that out of 105 because every state exam is different so south carolina is 105 questions so general insurance seven percent would make up about 11 questions you have 11 pages worth of reading to be able to study to be prepared to answer those seven questions, which means each page worth of study is about worth one question, which is pretty valuable. Some chapters, like if we were to look at business owners in South Carolina, that's 6% of the, the exam, 20 pages to study, which means each page is worth half a question. So when you you go through that business owners chapter, you would have to read two full pages, study and note two full pages, to be prepared for one potential question from those two pages. So those pages are not very valuable to study because there's so much of them. So um, uh, Nancy, we already have your breakdown. We've talked about the Illinois breakdown a few times. Um, I don't think anyone here is in South Carolina, but if we look at the Michigan one, I don't have the number of pages available, but given my years of experience um, teaching in the Michigan course, so your chapters that are very important for you. So, Oh, and by the way, with this, let me further explain. I'm jumping ahead because I want to talk about Michigan. Um, so here I've categorized the value of study. So if, if each page of study is worth one, to one or more questions, it's a high value chapter. If it's worth about half a question, it's a medium value chapter. Anything less than that is a low value chapter. And the way that you study those chapters, um, let me show you here. Oh, can I get to it? No, I have a, I have a breakdown for how you wanna study each of those, those chapters. So let me show that to you here real quick. If it's a red chapter, you wanna spend a lot of time there. You wanna be like an expert in that chapter. Because if you look like at the the South Carolina example or, it, you know, any of them really. Um, well, let's go ahead and do that. Let's look at one so you guys can see it. But yeah, well, I'm kind of all over the place. Sorry, a high value chapter is super valuable. You want to super study a high value chapter. That means that the page itself is very valuable. It, it's got one to two questions of information on it, the more you know that red red value chapter, the better you're going to be overall. Medium value chapters are ones where they have a lot of questions, but it's a lot of pages to study. So if there's a ton of pages that you have to study to be ready for those questions, it's too much for us to know. It's too much for us to fully understand. So you want to be like, you want to be like mediocre on it, like 70, like, 60 to 70%. Like, I'm kind of comfortable with these topics, but not an expert. So, you want to be an expert in the red chapters. You want to be mediocre in the yellow chapters. And then with the green, you can almost just bypass them. Now, some states do require that you have to pass the quizzes. And I believe Michigan is one of those states. So, if that's the case, simply pass the chapter one time, like, do whatever it takes to pass that chapter get done with it and then move on. It is not worth your time to study it beyond that. So this is how intensely you want to study the chapters. And for the Michigan, I'll I'll mark down which ones are red, yellow, and green. But one big thing that is super crucial is that reading is more powerful than quizzing or questions. So one of the most common myths that we have is that if I just do the practice questions over and over again till I memorize them, I'll be able to pass the state exam. This does work sometimes for some people but it doesn't work for everybody and it, and it doesn't even work that, that often. It works for a few people who are like, they're like sold on it. They're like, it worked for me, it'll work for you. All you need to do is memorize questions. It doesn't work, I promise. I've been doing this for the last four years And if it was as easy to just tell people to memorize questions, it would be that easy, but it's not. You need to actually know the information because whatever course you're using, whether it's ExamFX, Excel, Kaplan, AD Banker, whatever, whatever course you're using may or may not have the exact same questions that your state exam will. There's a lot of rules and laws in place that actually prevent companies like exam Kaplan 80 banker from being able to put the exact questions from the state in your course if the auditors for the state exam find exact questions they can get in trouble and they can lose their ability to sell in the state so studying questions is not a good method you want to know the content behind the question you want to know why that is the right answer not just that it is the right answer so that's why I recommend these these studies, you know, red, you want to super know, if you know, the red chapters very well, that's almost enough to be able to pass the exam. And I'll show you what I mean. Medium value chapters. I'm mediocre. I, I learned, I learned it. I, I watched the videos. I'm scoring at least 70% on the quizzes green, pretty much just bypass them unless you have to pass the chapter. Cause every state, some States require that you, you have to pass them. Okay. Hey, Grandma, can you shut your door? Are you in the living room? Okay, sorry. Let's make sure you guys can hear me. You're not in trouble, Grandma. <laughs> okay, so let's look at, for example, let me show you what I mean. Let me look at a property one. So in in South Carolina, for example, it's 150 questions, but you only need 105 to pass because that's 70%. If you were to add up the high value chapters, it brings it to 109 questions out of those red chapters. Basically, if you know if you could answer every single question correct, you'll be able to pass just from the red chapters. Now not every state works like that. Um, there's some states like I don't have a, a like this one for instance, this is a life exam or health exam but the high value makes up 62 and you need 70 to pass. So you still need the medium value, but almost always the red chapters are almost enough to secure a passing. If you know the red chapters very well, you're almost ready to be able to secure a pass. And the yellow chapters are just a buffer, just a few extra pieces of knowledge that just in case I miss some of the red value, I'll get the yellow value chapters. So let's go ahead and take a look at Michigan. Um, So let's see, let me, uh, this one's definitely red chapter, red chapter, red chapter, red chapter, red chapter, then we're going to go yellow, yellow, actually let's put that one in yellow too, Michigan is a 75, 74% pass rate, so you guys have a little bit higher, and then green and green, um, and well, you can almost the, the, workers comp, if it's tricky to you, just, just bypass it. If it makes sense to you, then go ahead and treat it as, as a yellow chapter. So this is how for Michigan, the property and casualty, you want to be an expert in general insurance. You want to be an expert in PNC basics. You want to be an expert on homeowners and auto and insurance regulation then you want to be mediocre in cpp bop and workers comp or you can treat workers honestly bop might be the better one to turn green between these two just pick one if it makes more sense to you to to understand workers comp then study workers comp if you like the bop better then do that one but pick pick one of these so this is this would be your study plan for michigan and you could take a picture of this or a screenshot of this or I'll then I'll send you a picture. I'll make a fancy one, whatever. Um, and then, what other state were we in? Um, JL, what was what was your state? Or JPI? Where's my participant?
1: Hey guys, uh, Florida.
0: Florida, okay. And you're you doing PNC or personal lines? PNC. Okay, perfect. All right, so let's look at Florida real quick. Florida PNC. There we go. Oh yeah, you gotta do the general line. Well, you, your, yours is, is fancy. Florida's, Florida has a lot of crazy requirements.
1: <laughs> but, Agreed.
0: <laughs> okay, so your chapters are definitely gonna be these two. This one, this one, and then these are yellow. Okay, now one thing to talk about here with, oh, and that last one can be green, that's fine. You don't have a lot of green ones, sorry. You got to study all yours intensely. Now, why are these two yellow when they're 16%? The reason is, is because you all every type of policy, if you notice the difference between like Michigan and Florida now, you saw in Michigan, it actually said homeowners, dwelling, auto, commercial, BOP. It broke it up chapter by chapter. Florida doesn't break it up chapter by chapter. So when you go into the um, course and you start reading like terms and related concepts, this will probably be like, uh, oops, sorry, this will probably be like nine pages. And this one probably the same around nine pages. This one will be like a hundred pages because it's every type of policy out there. Um, this one casualty will also be like probably 70 pages. So you can see But these two chapters make up, what, 30-something percent of the 20 plus 32, 32%, something like that, 32%. I'm not the best at 32%, and you only have to read 20 pages to make that happen. These two make up, what, 32, 36, same, 32 as well. (laughs) You would have to read 170 pages to be ready for that 32%. So that's why these two are red and these two are yellow. You're not gonna be able to understand everything from these chapters. Now, from these chapters, uh, so Florida, with the type of policies, that's gonna be dwelling, homeowners, BOP, and CPP, and also flood. Flood is in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, of those chapters, you uh, of those concepts, dwelling, homeowners, and flood can be red, And then you can almost honestly skip out on understanding BOP and CPP, because they're so complex and there's so much information and there's so many different numbers that trying to understand BOP or CPP is just too much. Those those are the more difficult ones with a ton of numbers, a ton of things. What about that? What about that? There's so many moving parts to understanding those. So from the types of property policies, Really study dwelling really study homeowners and really study flood but ignore the commercial it's just too difficult. Of the um, casualty chapters you'll want to really focus on auto and commercial auto. Mm -hmm. And then just skip out on the occurrence versus claims made or the CGL that's just too much. Now, when you take your quizzes and you, you know, you're going to see questions about the CGL occurrence versus claim made, and I'll even send you notes that explain occurrence versus claim made and all that stuff. But it's nothing that you need to study and know very well, which is good news because those concepts are super tricky. (laughs) Have you been studying for a while already or are you new?
1: Oh, yes. I uh, took the test three times already and I'm 0 for 3
0: make sure you email me your score sheet okay so when we're done with this and this is to everybody even if you're watching the recording if you email me your score sheet at insurance examqueen at gmail.com i will analyze it for you and send you back which chapters you should focus on and which concepts within those chapters even um to focus on thank uh, you yeah connect the next, next pass analysis yeah just email that to me your most recent score sheet I don't need all three of them just your most recent one okay um so yeah so that's Florida and then anyone else who has a breakdown like this where it's types of policies same rules no matter what state you're in if it's types of property policies it's going to be dwelling homeowners BOP CPP and flood you can ignore the commercial ignore the BOP ignore the CPP and focus on just these three and then for types of casualties focus on these ones and then also umbrella. Umbrella is easy. Um, so auto, commercial auto, and umbrella from casualty, and that will get you. You you know you only need, you know about half of the points from these chapters. And by these, by doing these guys, you'll know about half of the points. Now for state law, and this is for everybody. This one is a this is a chapter where you just need to memorize stuff. So wherever, whether you're in Michigan, Florida, Illinois, whatever. This, the state law chapter, it'll either be called insurance regs, insurance regulations, or it'll have like the name of the state in it. Either way, that's about your state laws, and they love to test numbers. How long is your license good for? How many continuing education hours do you need? Um, What are the fines and the fees for this? Um, How much do you have to pay for the test? Like every state kind of has their own set of numbers and it just comes down to you memorizing those numbers. So in the insurance regulations chapter or the common to all lines chapter, they're pretty much the same. It's all about studying your state's specific numbers. So as much as you can study and memorize the numbers. The other thing that is important to common to all lines. So we're talking common to all lines. um, That's usually the name of the, oh, I need to hide this Zoom box. Hang on one second. Hide floating, okay. Um, Common to all lines or it's called insurance regs. Insurance regulations. So, some states will have it called common to all lines with the name of the state in there. Some will just call it insurance regulations. Either way, I'm not going to talk about this chapter in this boot camp because we don't have enough time. But the things you want to study from there are the numbers, such as your CE hours, fees, fines number of days like sometimes they'll say um after you received a notice from the commissioner you have 10 days to respond or 30 days to respond or you they have to schedule a hearing within 15 days whatever that is as many numbers as you can memorize study that the other thing that they really love to ask about in common to all lines is the unfair trade practices unfair trade practices. And what those are is it's the things called like twisting, rebating, coercion, uh, misrepresentation. can't spell right now. I'm going too fast. Misrepresentation. So those are the things that you want to study from the common to all lines or the insurance regulations chapters. Make flashcards of the numbers. So CE hours, 24, uh, license renewal, two years, like whatever the numbers are for your state, study, memorize, study, memorize, study, memorize. Then know the unfair trade practices like twisting, rebating, coercion, misrepresentation. Oh, and defamation, um, defamation is a big one. And I can explain these very quickly, but twisting is a, is a false comparison of two policies. to to attempt to get the person to buy a um, policy that they don't need, but you're trying to get them to do it because you wanna make commission. So you lie about the policy they have versus the one you're trying to sell them to. You're twisting your words to get them to buy it. Not allowed to do that. Rebating is like bribing the customer to buy the insurance. Hey, if you buy this, policy, I'll give you some cash back when I earn my commission check or buy this policy and you can stay at my weekend beach house. Uh, Coercion is more like force where you're forcing someone to buy the insurance where rebating is a bribe. Coercion is like a gun to their head, like buy this insurance or else. That is most often when you do a loan. So what that means is when you go to a bank and they say, we'll give you this loan, but you need to get insurance first, so that if you die, the insurance will pay off the loan. They are absolutely allowed to do that. So they are absolutely allowed to say, in order to get this loan, you have to buy insurance. That's a-okay. What is not okay is, that uh, they say you have to buy it from this company because you're allowed to buy it from any company. So they're not allowed to say that you have to buy a loan, you have to buy insurance from this company or our company only or my friend's company only. Them, not the rules. (laughs) They're allowed to buy insurance from wherever. So a bank is allowed to require that the borrower buy insurance so that if they die or become disabled, the loan can be paid off but they are not allowed to say which insurance company they must buy it from. They can make a recommendation, say, hey, here, call this guy. He has the insurance you need, but they can't force you to buy it from that specific company. So that's usually the question about coercion is that the, the bank who is offering you the loan tells you that you have to get insurance and then they tell you where they have to get it from. Mm-mm, Not a lot. Misrepresentation. I know I spell. Uh, my handwriting gets very sloppy, <laughs> and I also don't spell very well, especially when I'm talking. Misrepresentation. Misrepresentation. One of my favorite things when I worked at XMFX was that I was a highly paid instructor who doesn't know how to spell. I can teach. I just can't spell. But whatever. Misrepresentation is lying. Lying to the customer about the policy benefits, lying about whatever. You're not allowed to lie to the customer, so don't don't lie. And the last one, defamation, um, this is to defame. You're taking away someone's fame. And the way that they talk about it with insurance, this would be talking badly about another's insurance company's finances specifically. So this would be like, oh, don't buy insurance from them. They never pay their claims. They mismanage their money. They're awful, don't buy from them. That would be defamation. So making maliciously critical statements about the financial condition of a company would be defamation. And a lot of times defamation is actually listed as a misdemeanor. So you wanna memorize if it's a felony or a misdemeanor or the punishment, they usually have a specific punishment for uh, defamation. So if your book, your course text has that, then study that. So those are the unfair trade practice. That was a quick synopsis of all of them. I just wanted to briefly explain them. And now we're going to get bigger and slower into the concepts that you guys actually need to know. So now that we've kind of talked about the exam breakdown, were there any questions about anyone's breakdown or how you should study it or anything before we move on to the next um, topic?
1: No, can you go back to that, um, the previous screen you were just on so I can take a, a snapshot of that, please? Yes. It's that one. No, the other one. Mm, the, the one Michigan- that shows the red, green, and yellow, sorry.
0: Oh, 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 you want... The
1: key, uh, yes. yes. And
0: this is available okay. on my Facebook too. So this is posted already to my Facebook in my photo albums, but yes, absolutely. Yep, so red chapters, super steady, green chapters, mediocre, yellow, or sorry, yellow, mediocre, green. <laughs> All right, awesome. Okay, so what we wanna do now is just talk about some basic insurance stuff. And because everyone's kind of all over the place in terms of like which chapters, you need to know. Um, like there's general insurance for some people other people have insurance terms and related concepts. What I do, having taught so many of these classes and so many of these things I pick the ideas that are most difficult for people from all the different chapters and I just put them together here so we're going to just teach just learn some of these concepts now because you guys are live ask questions. It does not bother me in the slightest. If you were to unmute and say, hey, I have a question. And in fact, I prefer it. So either unmute or put it in the chat box. And if I miss the chat box, please unmute and say, hey, I have a question in the chat box. So use this opportunity since I'm live to ask any questions you want as we're going through the material. And then, um, of course, you'll always have this recording that you you can come back and watch to later. But Yeah, you can raise your hand too. I won't be able to have the cameras on me. So uh, I won't be able to see you guys. So if you just unmute and say something, I'll be able to answer your questions, help you out. Whatever explanation you need, this class is for you. It's for you to be able to make sure you get the content knowledge you need so that you can pass. So make sure you're getting the best benefit Um, out of this class and use your opportunity to be able to talk live with me to get your your questions answered. With that being said, is there any topic that anyone is struggling with or wishes they could understand better? And I'll make sure I hit them. Uh, For me, it's actually more auto I have trouble with. Auto, you got it. Okay, cool. Anyone else?
1: I kind of have a series of questions, so I will try to ask them as you go. Let's just do that.
0: That's fine. Okay. No problem. Okay. Okay. So first, let's talk about the policy itself and all the components of a policy. So every policy is a contract, whether it's a homeowner's policy, a life policy, health policy, they are all contracts so a policy is a contract and you as a licensed agent are selling contracts which means you now need to understand contract law so the first thing that we're going to talk about is the elements the elements of a legal contract elements of a legal contract so whether it's a contract to rent an apartment or to get a job or to buy insurance, every legal contract has these four things in them. The first thing is agreement. That And what agreement says is that one party makes an offer and the other party accepts it. So agreement and, and, and the way that I teach you will pick this up pretty soon, is I'm gonna be very repetitive in what I say because I am implanting the knowledge into your head. And things that I repeat are definitely things you wanna write down or memorize. So if you're not an audio learner, write it down, uh, read it on the screen, you know, whatever it is that's gonna work for you. So agreement is known as offer and acceptance. That itself could be a test question. Agreement is known as offer and acceptance. Agreement is known as offer and acceptance. Agreement is known as offer and acceptance. So, agreement is where one side makes an offer and the other side accepts it. So, offer, acceptance, you're in agreement. One side makes an offer, one side accepts it, you are in agreement. Now, many of us are confused about who is making the offer and who is accepting. When we hear a commercial that says you're going to save 15% or more on your car insurance, we think the offer is the insurance company, but that's not the case. Insurance is the transfer of risk. Transfer of risk. So insurance is the transfer of risk. The risk that we have in life, the risk of our house burning down, the risk of crashing our car, the risk of dying too soon, the risk of getting sick, we are transferring that to the insurance company. We're going to let them handle the risk if it were to happen. They will pay to fix the car. They will pay to rebuild the house. They will pay my missed income if I die. They will pay my medical bill if I have it. I am transferring my risks to them and letting them carry the bill. So insurance is the transfer of risk. I'm transferring my risks to them. That is the offer. The offer is when the customer says, here are my risks, do you want them? Because if insurance is the transfer of risk, the offer would be here are my risks, take them. Do you want them here? Here they all are, take my risks for me. That's what insurance is. So the offer is when the customer submits an app. Customer submits an app. What is the app? The app is you filling out a piece of paper that says this is my name, this is where I drive, these are the cars that I own, here are my speeding tickets, you know, here are all the past claims history your application is you filling out your information and giving it to the insurer to figure out if they're willing to accept your risks. So agreement is known as offer and acceptance. The offer is when the customer submits an app, which is listing out all of their risks. Because even if you respond to the commercial that says, call us to save 15% or more, when you call them, they're gonna ask you a ton of questions. Those questions are you filling out the app. When you're talking to the customer service rep on the phone, they're filling out the application for you. They're asking you questions and filling it out. So the offer is when the customer submits an app. So then if if that's the offer, what's acceptance? Acceptance is the insurer issues a policy. Issues, or, or yeah, let's get insurer in there, sorry. Acceptance is when the insurer issues a policy. So the insurer issues a policy. So agreement is known as offer and acceptance. The offer is when the customer submits an app. Acceptance is when the insurer issues a policy, then you are in agreement. Okay, any questions? And feel free at any point to hop in if you do. The next one is consideration. Consideration. So there are four elements. There's four total. Really doesn't matter what order they're in. Just, we just tend to teach them in this order, which is fine. Um, Consideration is, I like to call consideration, you bring, I bring. I bring, you bring. And what consideration says, consideration says that both parties, both parties must bring value. Both parties must bring value. One party is gonna bring a value, the other party is gonna bring a value. Both parties must bring value to the other party. Like even when you think about the word consideration, considerate, it comes from that. You are considerate of another person. What do they want? They want this, I'm gonna give it to them. Well, what do I want? They're gonna give it to me. We are considerate of each other's needs. So one, they're gonna ask you, what is the definition of consideration? Both parties must bring value. The definition of consideration Both parties must bring value. That's consideration. Then they are going to ask you, what value does each party bring? What value does the insurer bring? What value does the insured bring? And you need to be prepared to answer that. However, they will not say, what value does the customer bring? They're going to say, what is consideration on the side up? So this is how they're going to word it. They're going to say, what is consideration on the side of? And this, what is consideration just means value. That's what that means. What is the value on the side of the insurer? What is the value on the side of the insured? So let's talk about that. So when you're prepared to answer consideration, both parties must bring value. Now, what value does each side bring? The customer, the value that the customer brings is app plus premium. These are the things of value that they bring to the insurer. And these are the things the insurer wants. The insurer wants your application and the premium that you're willing to pay for it. So the value that the customer brings, the consideration on the side of the customer is app plus premium. The application with all my risks and the premium I'm willing to pay for you to take up. That's, what, that's the value that the customer brings. What value does the company bring or the insurer? right? So customer insured, company insurer, same thing, however you want to say it. Technically, you're not an insured until they accept it, but customer insured, company insurer. What value does the company or the insurer bring? The value that they bring is promise to pay, they are promising that they will pay the claim, a valid claim, they will pay the claim. That's what we're getting from the insurer is a promise. We promise that we will pay the bill if you crash your car. We promise that if your house burns down, we will pay to fix it. So that is the value that we get from the insurance company. So let's recap, summarize this agreement is known as offer and acceptance. The offer is when the customer submits the app. Acceptance is when the insurer issues the policy. So they agree, someone makes an offer, you make an acceptance, we agree, we're in agreement. Then the next layer is, okay, now we need to bring money into this. So one one of the reasons I'm kind of recapping it this way is because people get really confused right here. An offer is submitting the app. Consideration on the side of the customer is submitting an app and paying premium. So people get a little bit confused when sometimes they should choose the word offer, but they choose consideration because they get confused. So here's how we clean this up. If we think of agreement as the proposal, so this is a diamond ring, right? So we think about, so my wedding ring here, agreement, is will you marry me? Yes, I will marry you. Consideration, and so on both sides, so you have the app on both sides, right? Offer has the app and consideration also has the app. You have the, the same wedding ring, right? This is will you marry me? Yes, I will marry you. This is the offer. Yes, I will marry you. Consideration is now that we're married your money is my money my money is your money now you have two rings when you're officially married which is consideration has two things the app and the premium so the agreement is like the engagement yes i will marry you consideration is like the wedding where now we are married and your money is my money so this is how we distinguish between Well, offer is just the app and consideration on the side of the customer is app plus premium. It's like the next level. Not only do I agree that I wanna be with your company and that your company wants to be with me, now we're making it official with the money. Is that clear? Is that good for everybody? Makes sense with the two layers? Okay. Okay, and then one little memory trick here, if the question, if the question asks, so they're gonna have a few different types of questions. If they say a customer submits, oh wait, sub, yeah, submits an app and they say, what is that? That would be offer. Because all they have is app. If the question says a customer submits app, does is submits app plus premium, the answer is consideration. Ah. If the question says the customer submits premium only like they don't say anything about the app then the answer is also consideration so this is where people get a little bit confused because it the app only is offer app plus premium consideration premium only is also just consideration because that's the most important part is the money the money is the most important part the app is what tells them how much money to charge you, how risky you are, but until you actually pay the premium, it's not official. It's just like, I can take an engagement ring all day long, but until I actually marry the dude, ain't nothing official yet. You gotta actually make it happen. So the money is the most important part there, which is why if they say a customer submits the premium, what is that known as? It's consideration. But a lot of times people will try and put offer down here when they ask about app plus premium. No, offer is app only. Offer is app only. Some people will also try to put the word agreement here. Uh Uh-uh, agreement is two things, offer and acceptance. This is asking about the offer only. So with agreement, not only are they going to ask you, if we go back up, oops, I didn't want to do that. Agreement, sometimes they're going to ask you what is the definition of agreement? And the answer is offer and acceptance. Then they ask you, what is offer? Offer is the customer submitting the app. What is acceptance? Acceptance is the insurer issuing the policy. So three potential questions from these concepts. Agreement, offer and acceptance, offer, customer submits an app, acceptance, insurer issues a policy. Three different potential questions, each having their own answer. So agreement is offer and acceptance. What's offer? Customer submits an app. What's acceptance? Insurer issues a policy. But the customer submitting the app is one part of agreement. So when, when the question asks you, the customer submits an application, what is that known as? Don't choose agreement, choose offer. Offer is the more exact definition. And offer is one piece of agreement, not the full piece. Okay. All right, again, let me know if you have any questions about any of this. Okay, the last two are actually really easy. Um, the next one is competent parties. So like I said, there's four of them. Competent parties, just means that you're old enough you're you're old enough i'm 18 whatever age it is to legally buy an insurance i know what i'm doing so you're of sound mind so i'm capable of understanding comprehending that i am buying insurance i understand what this is covering me for i'm of sound mind i'm i logically understand what's going on and then the last thing is um not under the influence of drugs and alcohol, not under the influence. So basically you can't sell some, to sell a policy to someone who's drunk. You can't sell a policy to someone who is on painkillers because they're out of their mind, okay? So common in parties, I'm old enough, I know what I'm doing, I'm of sound mind and I'm not under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Sometimes they trick you with this question. One, I don't care if you're a felon. A felon, as long as a felon is old enough, knows what they're doing and not under the influence of drugs and alcohol, they can buy insurance. For some reason they throw that in there and it trips people up. They go, oh, a felon, a felon can't get insurance. Why not? (laughs) Yes, they can. (laughs) So as long as they're old enough, sound mind and not under the influence of drugs and alcohol, even if you're a felon, you can buy insurance. The other thing that they will trick you on with competent parties is they'll ask you a question. They'll be like, who below is a competent party? And then list out like four people and all of them are on drugs. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) There's a difference between like a mind impairing drug, like painkillers or recreational drugs versus a drug that doesn't impair your thinking, a blood pressure medicine, a thyroid medicine, restless leg medicine, none of those things are gonna impair your thinking. So what they're looking for is, if they say who below is a competent party and they're all on drugs, they're looking for the one where it's like a normal drug that's not impacting your mind. So if it's painkillers, especially painkillers after a surgery, Those impair your mind. Basically the medicine that says don't operate heavy machinery equipment if you're on this medicine. That's what kicks you out of being a competent party. So they love to say pain meds after a surgery. That's incompetent. You should not sell insurance to someone who is out of the surgery and on pain meds. Not a good idea. (laughs) Um, And you should not sell insurance to anyone who is drunk and you should not sell insurance to anyone who is too young. So that's competent parties. My memory trick for that one is tattoo. Anytime that I wanna go to get a tattoo, I have to sign a paper that says I'm old enough. I know what I'm doing. I'm not under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And if I can sign that paper, then I am a competent party. The last one is legal purpose, legal purpose. And this one is is Joe Exotic all day. Joe Exotic. Legal purpose says that it cannot be against the law. Cannot be against the law. And what they're saying is whatever contract, whatever policy you establish, it cannot break the law. It cannot go against public policy. So Joe Exotic, if you know anything about Joe Exotic or Tiger King, this is a man who is now currently in jail because he tried to hire someone else to murder someone else. I will pay you $5,000 to go kill her. That is illegal. That is not legal purpose. That does break the law. So any contract that is established, whether it's a policy, a lease agreement, whatever, it cannot break the law. It cannot go against public policy. It can, it cannot, go against whatever is legal um, in order to be a legal contract. Like a contract for a meth house, not legal. A murder for hire contract, not legal because all of those things break the law, okay? So again, you have four elements of a legal contract, agreement, consideration, competent parties, legal purpose. That itself can be a question. What are the four elements? Agreement, consideration, competent parties, legal purpose. Agreement is known as offer and acceptance. The offer is when the customer submits an app. Acceptance is when the insurer issues a policy. Consideration says that both parties must bring value. Consideration on the side of the customer is app plus premium consideration on the side of the insurer is promised to pay. Competent party says you need to be old enough sound mind not under the influence of drugs and alcohol and legal purpose says cannot be against the law um, cannot be against public policy and those are the four elements of a legal contract any questions everyone's feeling good so far. All right, now let's talk about the um, parts of a um, P&C policy. So specifically, oh, let's make that thicker. I think I zoom in to make it bigger. Let's see. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about property, property and casualty policies. I always spell casualty wrong. <laughs> I should spend time trying to memorize it. I just whatever. Property and casualty policies. okay. So when we when you get a policy, it's basically a, um, made up of like a few different pages and they all get you know stapled together. So like this would be page one, page two, page three, page four, and they're all stapled together and that becomes your policy contract. Now, as part of the state exam, they want you to know what are the parts of the policy, what is in the policy. The first thing on the policy is going to be the deck page, the deck page or declarations. Declarations. Now, the declarations is the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how, essentially. That's the declarations page. Specifically, you can memorize it as this. N-N-A-A-P-P, nap. I wanna take a nap after learning all of these insurance concepts. <laughs> Most of these classes are like, very, oh, that was a skinny little That's a big one. Most of these insurance classes are are very boring. N-N-A-A-P-P, I'm trying to write it better, but <laughs> name of the insured, name of the insured, name of the company, address, amount, A-M-O-U, amount, Um, property description, and period, how long. Okay, so that's what's on the declaration page. It's, It's like a summary document. So this is a summary of the policy. This is a summary is the declaration page. And it's declaring this person is covered by this company at this address for this amount of coverage for this property. Is it a three bedroom, two bedroom house, three bedroom, two bathroom house, or is it a 2009 Toyota? What is it? Describe it. And then the period is for how long. Um, and also the premium, honestly, the premium's in there too. Oh, the amount amount of coverage, amount of premium, however you wanna put it. you can You can add premium in there if you want. But premium is definitely covered on the declaration page. What is not on the declaration page, so we're gonna get a big red X. What is not on the declaration page is the perils. Now we're gonna talk about the definition of perils, but perils are the things that you either are or are not covered for. Fire, lightning, wind, hail, riot, vehicle, explosion, smoke, civil commotion, bursting of heating systems, burglary, blah, 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 blah. All of those are perils. The declaration page does not list the perils. You know that you have 100,000 for coverage A, but you don't know what is going to cause coverage A to pay out. We don't know that. Um, That is in a different part of the document, which we'll talk about. So that's the declaration page. It's NAP. You don't even you don't even need to really memorize NAP necessarily, but being aware that the declaration page has the name of the name insured, the name of the company, the address. Like, it's the basic summary of the policy is the declaration page. The next part is um, definitions. Definitions. And that one just, what you wanna know is that it it explains, it explains. And you know, there's gonna be different words within the definite, what does you mean? What does agent mean? What does insurer mean? You know, they're gonna define certain things. The confusion comes in between these two, declarations and definitions. And here's what I mean. The declarations will tell you who the name insured is. The name insured is Melissa. She's the one who bought the policy. The definition explains what the name insured means. So so where declarations is who, definitions is what. What does that mean? So they might ask you a state exam question that say, where do we go to find out what the name insured means and some people will say oh name insured is on the deck page i'm going to choose declarations but they weren't asking who it was they were asking what does it mean so slow down when you get to a question and you want to oh that's declarations because it might need to be definitions they asking who it is or they asking what it is So make sure you slow down a little bit because many people will choose declarations when they should choose definitions. So definitions just explains what, what what is this policy? The next thing in the policy is the insuring agreement. Insuring agreement. The insuring agreement is a lot of things. The most important thing that the insuring agreement is, is the, promise to pay promise to pay now back when we learned if we go if we were to go right back up here to consideration what was the consideration on the side of the company or the insurer promise to pay consideration is what says that this is the value that they bring. They bring the value of promising to pay your claims. But that's all consideration will say because consideration is not only an element of a legal contract as part of the four elements, consideration is an element of all legal contracts. There is also a section in your insurance policy called consideration. So when you're reading your policy, you will get to a point that says consideration. And it will say both parties must bring value. And the value that the customer brings is act plus premium. The value that the insurer brings is promise to pay, period. It doesn't say exactly what they're promising or exactly what they're paying. Consideration simply says they promise to pay the claim. What claim, how many claims, how much for each claim? None of that is in consideration. All of that is in the insuring agreement. So consideration is what says they make the promise, but where do we find that promise? We find it in the insuring agreement. So the insuring agreement is basically what spells out in detail exactly what they are promising us without the insuring agreement, there is no policy. The insuring agreement is literally why we're buying the policy. So it's what contains the promise to pay. Consideration says that they are bringing a promise to pay, but if we wanna understand what that promise is and how detailed that promise is, we have to go to the insuring agreement to find out. So coming back down here, the insuring agreement contains the promise to pay. It says that this, and it's kind of like a math equation. This insurer is covering this person or this, yeah, this person. Oops, wrong one. This insurer is covering this person for these perils. And it will actually list out what perils. Some policies only cover fire, lightning, and internal explosion. Some cover everything. We need to know which type of policy it is. So the the insuring agreement contains the promise to pay. That's how they're always gonna use that word contains. The insuring agreement contains the promise to pay. And what is the promise to pay? That this insurer is covering this person for these perils. That's the promise. The other thing that's in the insuring agreement is the P's. They love the P's in insuring agreement. One, it has the promise, it has the perils, it has the parties, this insurer, this insured, and they'll name them, their actual names. And then it also has the period as well. How long is this good for? Because the declaration page is kind of like a summary of the insuring agreement. So sometimes they overlap a little bit. The declaration page also has the parties, right? Name of the insured, name of the company. Those are the parties. So the insuring agreement though um, is gonna be, a, the, the, the deck is a summary of that. So you're gonna see some of the same stuff, but the insuring agreement contains the promise to pay. That's the big one. Then they may ask you a few other things about the insuring agreement. And you wanna know they've got the promise, they got the perils, it's got the parties, it's got the period. It's all the Ps. The insuring agreement's got all the Ps: promise, perils, parties, period. Okay, so that's the insuring agreement. Anyone because have to it
1: overlaps? Um, could, is it is it just safe to say the the stuff that does over, overlap um, that it's the summary on the deck page and then it's in depth on the insurance agree, uh, agreement? Yes. Policy? Okay.
0: yes yeah it's 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 very qu- like a quick a quick snapshot almost the deck page almost looks like a bullet pointed list coverage a coverage b coverage c it's very simple very simplified whereas the insuring agreement will be like paragraphs explaining it out in more detail yeah cool. great question okay all right and then um the rest of the I don't remember. I don't know if I'm going to teach it in exactly the order, and it really doesn't matter what order we're in. But the next few things so we have: insuring, we have the declarations, definitions, insuring agreement. We also have conditions, conditions, and conditions are the rules. Just get my pen out of the way. Conditions are the rules, duties, obligations or ways of behaving. I'll explain that. Okay. So the next part of the policy or whatever part it's in, it really doesn't matter. Deck is at the beginning and that's the only one they care about the order. It really doesn't matter whatever order these come in. So I'm just listing them out as I remember them. Conditions though. What you want to remember about conditions is that every insurance policy is conditional. You must do this And I must do this in order to keep this policy going. And if one of us fails, policy is over. So conditions are both party or both of us have rules we have to do. And if we don't do these rules, it could end the insurance. So with the questions about conditions, it'll always have one of these words. What are the rules that the insured and the insurer have to follow? Conditions. Where does the insured go to find the duties after a loss? Conditions. Where does the insurer go to see the obligations to the customer? Conditions. Where does the insured go to find out how to behave after a claim? Conditions. So, conditions are the rules, the duties, the obligations, the ways of behaving that'll tell the customer and the company what they have to do. So for instance, the customer has to submit the claim within you know, 20, 30 days of the loss. The insurer has to pay the claim within 30, 60 days, whatever it is, every state's a little bit different. Those are the rules and we have to follow the rules. You have rules, I have rules, we're both following the rules and that's conditions. And if we're not following the rules, then the policy is, is over, okay? So rules, duties, obligations, ways of behaving. As soon as you see rules, duties, obligations, ways of behaving, go to the answer that says conditions. What are the rules we have to follow? Conditions. Where are the duties we have to follow? Conditions. Where are the obligations we have to follow? Conditions. Where does it describe how we behave? Conditions. All of those are conditions, okay? All right, um, next one, what else we got? We also have exclusions, exclusions. And exclusions are basically what's what's not covered. What's not covered. So the exclusions will list out whatever is excluded. Now there are two main exclusions that you wanna memorize for every policy And they're really the only exclusions you need to memorize. So when you're going through and you're studying, you're reading homeowners, dwelling, commercial, BOP, they're gonna have a ton of exclusions. Every policy will have its own list of exclusions. You don't need to memorize them other than these two, okay? Earth movement. Earth movement is excluded. It is not covered. However, you can get an endorsement. So you can add it if you want it, but it's not, it's automatically excluded unless you add it. An endorsement means that you're adding it extra, you would need to pay extra for it too. So earth movement is one of the exclusions. You can endorse it for extra money and get it covered if you want, but it's automatically excluded. The other big exclusion is water damage, water damage. Now, specifically what they mean with water damage is outside water coming in. So outside water coming in is excluded and not covered. And that would also be like flood. When you think of water damage, you can think of flood. Now, if your water, so let's say you have a pipe burst and your water is coming out of the walls, then um, that would be covered. But if it's outside water coming into the house, that would not be covered. So water damage is excluded. Earth movement is excluded. These are the only main two exclusions you need to memorize. All the other exclusion, eh, sure, there's a bunch of them. They're not that useful for you on the state exam. They can only ask you so many questions and they just don't focus on exclusions. They do earth movement, water damage, call it a day, that's good. Okay. Now there may be some other parts of the policy, but these are the main ones. There's the declaration page, which declares who is covered, how much, name of the company, period, whatever. Then you've got the definitions, which explains what everything means. You have the insuring agreement, which contains that promise to pay, um, lists out the parties, the promise, the perils, the periods. Then you have conditions, which are the rules, the duties, the obligations, the ways of behaving, and the exclusions—what is not covered. Uh, we don't cover earth movement, and we don't cover uh, water damage. Okay.
1: Is rain a part of water coming from the outside end?
0: Yes. Yes. Rain is actually not one—is not a peril. That is ever like really listed or covered at all Um, so so like for instance if you have if you leave your window open and rain comes in and it warps your wood floor zero coverage that is not covered if your window was closed and then a tree branch swinging in the wind broke it and then rain came in then it would be covered
1: because
0: yeah, the break. Yeah, the falling of the wind, the the tree breaking the window would be a, a an instance of wind is a covered peril. Falling object would be a covered peril too. So if you leave the window open, no coverage. But if it gets broken by a covered peril, then it would be covered. Yeah. And what's interesting too about earth movement is um, fire is always covered. Fire is always covered. Fire is always covered. Fire is. Always covered. So they they are likely to ask you a question where they will say, an earthquake caused $5,000 in damage and also resulted in a $2,000 fire. How much will the insurer pay? So 5,000 earthquake, $2,000 fire damage. How much will they pay? and your answer choices will be five, two, seven, none at all. You wanna find out the fire coverage. They will cover the fire. So if there's 5,000 in earthquake and 2,000 in fire damage, they will pay the 2,000 in fire damage. So fire is always covered. Fire is always covered. Fire is always covered, even if after an earthquake. Like if you know your house is gonna be flooded, burn it down first. Flood is excluded, but not fire. I actually saw a meme one time where it was like the whole neighborhood was flooded and one house was burned down. I'm like, that's the smart guy. (laughs) He's going to get coverage and the other guys will not. Um, So fire fire is always covered. So if earth movement causes a fire, the fire itself is covered, but not the other earth movement damage. And this is true even on a DP1. So if you've studied the dwelling policies at all, DP1 is like the worst one, like barely any coverage, like absolutely awful. Um, And it will even cover fire. So they tend to ask that question on a DP1. They'll say, you have a DP1 and earthquake caused 5,000 in damage, a fire was 2,000 in damage, what's covered? Just the fire, whatever fire damage they had, even on, a DP1, which is the worst policy you can have, even that one will cover fire from an earthquake because fire is always covered. Always go with fire is covered. Okay. All right, so now we're gonna jump into um, homeowners policies or property policies in general. Now dwelling policies, um, looking at that Michigan exam where you it's only 2% of your exam Dwelling policies, I I wanna, they're homeowners and dwelling go together like very well, like hand in hand. Um, Dwelling is kind of like a cousin or a sister to homeowners. They're almost similar, but not quite. So um, I'm gonna, considering that not everyone here really needs to understand dwelling, and honestly, for most people, most state exams, you don't need to understand dwelling very much. I'm gonna really focus in on homeowners. And then if you do have any dwelling questions, um, just, you know, let me know. And then we can also, um, there's there's always YouTube videos on my YouTube channel. So you can always look at some of my dwelling versus homeowners videos for that. But let's get into um, homeowners because that's something that everyone pretty much needs to know. And property policies in general, um, what I'm about to teach you works for all property, whether it's dwelling, homeowners, commercial, or BOP or whatever all right so let's get oh let's get a Yeah, a thick marker okay so property policy oh that's not thick oh, i gotta zoom in there we go <laughs> gotta make my marker nice and visible okay all right property policies and let oh yeah let's talk about property versus casualty for a minute when, because you're either learning types of property policies or types of casualty policies, Um, home, dwelling, CPP, BOP, those are property policies, commercial, and then casualty is auto, CGL, um, commercial auto, umbrella. What is the difference between property and, and casualty? A property policy is about me and my stuff. So my house, um, my clothes, my shoes, my stuff, that's a property policy. A casualty policy is your stuff, your car that I hit into, your medical bills. Now, both policies cover both. Like if we look at a homeowner's policy, the very first coverage is me and my stuff, my house, my stuff. And the very last coverage is in case you accidentally hurt anybody, here's liability. So property policy is property, 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 all the way at the end, a little casualty liability component. Auto, which is a casualty policy, has casualty liability as the first big coverage. And then all the way at the bottom is coverage for your car. So property policy is all about you and your stuff. Casualty is the other guy, the other guy's stuff. If I crash into you with my car, I'm sending you to the hospital. I destroyed your car. I owe you money. I know Michigan's different with your no fault, (laughs) but your state exam will still have regular test questions on there, which say that, uh, so a casualty policy auto, I'm at fault for hitting you. I owe you money for your medical bills. So casualty is all about the other people. And then the very last coverage takes care of my car property is all about my stuff. And the very last coverage takes care of other people. Okay, so that's the difference between property and casualty. Property is me and mine, casualty is you and yours. Okay, so what do we care about with the property policy? The first thing we care about is the structure. The structure. This is the walls and the roof of whatever building we're talking about, whether it's a home, a dwelling a commercial building whatever we're, we're going to cover the structure the walls and the roof of the place we also care about the personal property this would be the clothes the shoes the pots the pans this is all of your stuff okay when we think about personal property like let's say you you're living in this house everything that you would move and take, put in a U-Haul with you to go to the next house, that's your personal property. Your clothes, your shoes, your furniture, your pots, your pans, all of that is your personal property. So with property policies, first we care about the structure, then all the stuff inside. Then the next thing we care about is the um, loss of use. What if my house burns down and I can't use it anymore? Now I have to go stay at a hotel or what if I'm renting this house out to tenants and it burns down, I'm missing my rent money from them. That would be loss of use. So loss of use would either be um, fair rental value that you're no longer collecting, fair rental value or um, uh, additional living going to the hotel. So loss of use would be, I can't rent out this property anymore because it burned down or I have to go stay at a hotel because it burned down. So that's the other one. And then the last thing that we care about, like I said, the casualty side is the liability. And the liability is if anyone gets hurt. So if someone comes to my house and they get hurt at my house, They, they fell down my stairs. They got to go to a chiropractor. I've got liability coverage for them. So I have money to take care of someone else, or your child goes to the playground at school and beats someone up. And and then that they get sued. Your insurance actually covers that. Uh, So liability actually protects you anywhere you are in the world, not, well, actually anywhere in the United States, not just at your house. So this is what comes on a property policy is Structure, the walls and the roof, the pers- the personal property. Do this, wanna make this a little bit prettier here. Move you over there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so property policies, these are the four things that we care about. The structure, the walls and the roof, the personal property, all the stuff inside, clothes, shoes, furniture, being able to use the place, Um, So fair rental value if the tenants leave or additional living if you can't stay at your hotel and then liability if anybody gets hurt. So these are the four main things. And these are also all the coverages that are on homeowners and um, well dwelling. Well, dwelling doesn't always have these two. Dwelling um, is missing personal property and liability. So this is not on dwelling. But they can be purchased for additional money. So let's talk about dwelling versus homeowners real quick. I'm not going to go too much into dwelling, but a dwelling policy is for a landlord. Typically, doesn't have to be, but typically. So a dwelling policy is purchased by someone who owns a house and is renting it to someone else so that you own the house, but you're not living in it. You're renting it to someone else. So in a dwelling policy, you really only care about the structure and your fair rental value. If you're renting it out to someone else, your stuff isn't in the house. Theirs is. So you don't need personal property. If you're not living there, you don't care about the liability if anybody gets hurt. So personal property and liability are not undwelling automatically. You would have to buy them extra, though, if you did want them. So. Dwelling is typically landlords where they're not living at the property; someone else is. Homeowners is I live here and I'm here all the time and I want to cover all of these things. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Any questions so far? Everyone's everyone's doing well. Let me know if you have any questions. Okay. On the uh, quick one on the dwelling: what if it was actually a furnished
1: apartment or a furnished house? Would that be the same?
0: Yeah. So furnished, um, d- d- uh, you get a little. You you would just let them know if it is furnished. You would have to let them know, and they will let you know what coverage is available. But in terms of furnishing like that, if they ever ask you a landlord, and they ask you about landlords furnishings, they actually will not talk about this on a dwelling policy like at all. But homeowners does cover twenty five. $100. Right. So if they were to ask you about landlord's furnishings, you can get up to 2500. And that's typically like a bedroom, like you're renting out a bedroom in your house to someone else. You can have that one bedroom covered up to 2500 and that's it. Great. But they Thank don't you. really talk about landlord's furnishings on a dwelling at all as weird as that is. But <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Do remember the 2,500. Landlord's furnishings, 2,500. Landlord's furnishings, 2,500. That is actually a pretty common question. <clears throat> okay, now of these, these things, what, what will, if we have structure and personal property and loss of use and liability, what will trigger these policies to pay out? If, this, if structure will rebuild the walls and the roof, Personal property will replace my stuff. Loss of use will pay for a hotel for me while they're rebuilding my structure. Liability will pay the medical bills of anybody I accidentally hurt or injure. And these four things, but what will trigger them to pay out? The trigger is the peril. So the peril is the cause of loss, cause of loss. And the perils would be like the wind, the hail, the riot, or r r o i t whatever, I spelled that one wrong. (laughs) Riot, R-I-O, the riot, the smoke, the fire, all of that. So the peril is the cause of loss and, and depending on the type of policy you have will determine when do we provide structure coverage? We won't provide it if there's a flood because that's an excluded peril, but we will cover it if it's a fire because that is a covered peril. So then we need to know, well, well what, what type of policy, If we if perils are the cause of loss, how do we know which perils are covered and which are not? Our policies that we buy are either going to be named peril, named peril, or open peril. Named peril or open peril. A named peril policy only covers what's named. Oh, uh, or how do we say it? a named peril policy? A named peril policy has to list the perils insured against. That's what we want to say. Lists the perils. Lists the perils. Insured against lists the perils insured against. What what a named peril policy is saying is it must be named in order to be covered. So it'll say this is covered, this is covered, and this is covered. And if it's not this, this, and this, it ain't covered. So your memory trick here is if it ain't named, it ain't covered. If it ain't named it ain't covered. If it it ain't named, it ain't covered. So name peril policy has to name the perils. And if the peril is named, it's covered. If it's not named, it's not covered. So name peril policy is basically saying like, only this is covered or only these are covered. And then it will make a list. This is covered, this is covered, and this is covered, that's it. We will only cover these three things. So it lists the perils. And if it ain't listed, it ain't covered. An open peril, on the other hand, covers everything not excluded. Covers everything not excluded. Everything not excluded. An open peril policy covers everything not excluded. So instead of saying we cover this, 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 they say we cover everything except this, this, this. So instead of listing what is covered, it lists what is not covered.
1: So it'll say we'll
0: cover anything that could possibly happen except boom, 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 earth movement and flood. So open peril is actually better because an open peril can, can cover you for anything that happens as long as it's not excluded. So an open peril covers everything not excluded. Um, was our memory for that only these are covered? Yeah, where a name peril says only these are covered, open peril says um, all of these are excluded. So it'll list what's excluded. So it covers everything not excluded. Now your memory trick for homeowners, and this is true for not, not necessarily with dwelling, but when we're talking about homeowners, Named peril are even numbers, so if you have an HO 2, 4, 6, 8, it's going to be named peril. Open peril is odd number, O for O, odd for open, so that would be an HO 3 and an HO 5. So that alone is something that you want to memorize because they will ask you the difference between a named peril policy and open peril policy. Or they may ask you, what's the difference between a two and a three? A two is named peril. It will only cover what's named. An open peril is a three and a five. They'll cover anything not excluded. So named even, odd, or open, odd. Named even, open, odd, okay? So two, four, six, eight is a named peril policy, three and five open peril policy, okay. All right, one more thing before we kind of jump into homeowners is understanding direct loss versus indirect loss. So all of these perils basically have to be direct loss. Oh, I missed the C in there, D-R-I, direct. All of these um, perils are covered as direct losses. And what I mean by that is it has to happen to the house in order for it to be covered. There has to be direct physical damage to the house in order for the coverage to pay out. Then um, you you have, so you have direct losses and then you have indirect losses. Yeah, let me keep that same cover, indirect. So let's talk about these these losses. And and by the way, if we were to go up here, this loss of use, so structure and personal property liability, those are all direct losses. This one is indirect. And see what's indirect is fair rental value, missing out on the red money because the people had to move out due to the fire or additional living, you had to move out due to the fire. Those are all indirect. So the direct would be the fire. The indirect is moving out because of the fire. I, I have to I have to stay at a hotel now because my house burned down, and I never would have stayed at the hotel if my house didn't burn down. I'm only going at the hotel because my house burned down. That's indirect. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So let's say that we have a we have a house, and then the house is on fire. Ah, and that's the kitchen. Just the kitchen is on fire. What's gonna happen is a fire truck is gonna come along and it's gonna start spraying water onto the house to put out the fire. All of this is a direct loss, okay? Now, the kitchen is the one that is on fire, but there will be parts of the house that get wet that were not on fire. Like let's say right here, let's say you have the, this is the living room. Living room is not on fire, only the kitchen. But when they're spraying down the house to get the kitchen out of fire, the living room furniture is gonna get wet. Now I already told you that outside water coming in is excluded, isn't it? But why is this water coming in? Because of the fire. So the living room furniture that is all now wet, all the wet living room furniture is still covered under the peril of fire. So you have the peril of fire happening, which is covered. And because of the peril of fire, the fire truck is spraying water on the house, which is getting the furniture in the living room wet. And this would be covered under the peril of fire. Now the wet furniture, We actually call this, we have a name for this. Why is this marker so thin? (laughs) We have a name for this, which is proximate cause of loss. Proximate cause of loss. Let me write that a little bit better. Proximate cause of loss. Proximate cause of loss the word proximate means close to or nearby so the furniture here that is getting wet from the living room not on fire but it's wet now because of the fire in the kitchen the furniture is covered under the peril of fire because it got wet because of the fire it is next to the fire the word proximate is next to nearby all of this is the direct loss even the wet furniture some people think that the wet furniture is a consequence it's not a consequence indirect losses are the consequential losses i'm going to spell the word consequential wrong consequential losses where's my oh consequential losses we don't think of the wet furniture as a consequential loss. Oh, well the kitchen was a fire, the furniture got wet. We call that proximate cause of loss. And proximate cause of loss is a direct loss. So anything next to the, the peril of fire would be proximate all under direct. So they, will, they can ask you a question where they say, what type of loss is proximate cause of loss? It's direct, it's covered under direct. My memory trick for direct is anything that is happening in the danger zone. And what I mean, if you've ever watched, uh, there's a commercial, what is it called, Archer? Archer goes, danger zone. But anyway, the danger zone is anything where it's like, ah, the fire is burning, is everybody safe? The fire truck is coming, the fire is raging, ah! Anything that's happening in that moment is the danger zone. And that's all the direct loss. So the fire raging, the fire truck, the furniture getting wet, all of it, you're in danger. You're trying to take care of it. There's an emergency. That's the direct loss. The danger zone is the direct loss. And everything involved in the danger zone is the direct loss, including the wet furniture. Indirect loss, I like to call this the aftermath. If the direct loss is the danger zone, the indirect loss is the aftermath. It's kind of like, okay, let's take a deep breath. We put the fire out, the fire is done, no more fire. We, um, we're we no longer in danger. We, we catch our breath and we go, what now? Everything that happens after the what now is the indirect loss, such as staying at a hotel or missing out on your rent money, fair rental value. Or since we're doing C, could even be loss of profits. If this was a business, if you had a restaurant and the restaurant caught on fire in the kitchen, And the water came and sprayed it. The kitchen fire is put out. The dining room is now all soaking wet. You can't have customers in. So all of the the wet furniture and the fire in the kitchen, that was the direct loss, the danger zone. Fire has been put out. (sighs) Take a deep breath. What now? Now I can't have customers come in, so I'm missing out on profit. That would be one example. Or... Now I can't live at my house because it burned down. I have to stay at a hotel. Now I can't rent this room out because the um, house burned down. It's all indirect losses, okay? So that's the indirect loss, the consequential, the aftermath. After we're out of danger, what happens next? Hotel, missing rent money, loss of profits. But all of those things are the consequences of the house burning down. The consequences of the business burning down. That's the indirect loss. Those are the consequences. The wet furniture, because of the fire truck, is not a consequence. It was in the direct path of the damage. It's right next to the damage. So it's involved in the damage. So the direct loss is proximate cause of loss. And everything that's happening in the danger moment, indirect loss is the consequences, the aftermath. Now that the house burns down, now what? Hotel, fair rental value, loss of profits, those are all indirect. Okay? Any questions? Everyone?
1: Actually, I do. So the proximate cause of loss is actually from the fire, correct? The the, the,
0: the proximate cause of loss is the wet furniture that got wet because of the fire. Yes.
1: Okay. So I remember that on a test question and I didn't put fire down. Like the initial, I remember the question was, uh, name
0: the proximate cause if the wind blew through uh, a window
1: and the window, a piece of the glass of the window, cut my son's arm. What was the proximate cause? And I actually put uh, the glass, that piece of the glass, but it should have been the wind, obviously, right?
0: The wind is the proximate cause, the proximate cause, co- the, co- the, wi- the, the direct loss is the wind the direct loss would be the wind the wind yeah okay. because the wind would be a covered peril so the direct loss would be the wind so your son cutting his arm would be proximate he was next to the broken glass
1: ah okay okay is that i got it
0: okay yes. well said. Okay. thank you yes and it's not always fire right that's just the one the one example i had um but the, the one they, te- they typically tend to use but proximate is anything next to the the direct damage involved in the like you were in the danger zone, broken glass, danger zone, sun cuts his arm, danger zone, right? So that so the proximate cause would be him cutting his arm. Now that is not actually covered under insurance, but. Um, yeah. Anyway, your your medical bills are not taken care of on your homeowners. Okay. So I know we're we're we've we've talked about a lot. We got about thirty minutes here, so let's run into um, homeowners. Okay. Now we're going to talk about homeowners policies specifically. Let me make sure my marker looks decent here. Home. Oh, why is it so skinny? <laughs> homeowners. All right, so now we're specifically going to talk about homeowners policies. Now all homeowners pretty much have the same coverages. You have coverage A, coverage B, coverage C, coverage D, coverage E, coverage F. And we policies are broken up into two sections. A through D are known as section one and they use a Roman numeral. E and F are known as section two, Roman numeral two. You don't need to remember section one is A through D. What you want to remember is that section one is property. Section one, property. Section two, liability. So section one is property, me and my stuff. Section two is liability, you and your stuff. So A through D is me and my stuff. Section one, property, me and mine. Section two, liability, you. So section two, liability, you. Property, me, I'm number one. Me and my property is number one. Section one, property. Section two, liability, okay? Now, um, what are these coverages? So the first one is coverage A known as dwelling. Now I know there's dwelling policies and homeowners policies, but they're using the word dwelling here as basically saying the house, the walls and the roof. And that's what coverage A is, is the walls and roof, walls and roof. And coverage A is the main coverage of all the, the policies. So when, we, when you call the insurance company and you tell them I've a three bedroom, two bathroom house, wood tiles, wood shingle roof, Um, tiles on the floor. They're gonna ask you all kinds of details about the house. They will then determine the rebuild value based on that because the goal of insurance is that if the house burns down, they rebuild it. They need to know what they're rebuilding. Are we rebuilding um, a one bedroom house, a three bedroom house, a 10 bedroom house? How big is this, this house? Depending on that rebuild price, is what they will set coverage A at. So coverage A is going to be set at whatever the rebuild of your house is. So if your house, if, if you have a small house and they only need two hundred thousand to rebuild it, coverage A will be two hundred thousand. If it's a massive house and you need a lot of money, eight hundred thousand would be coverage A. It's whatever the rebuild is for your house. So whatever. Details about your house, you call the insurance, the three bedroom, two bathroom, tile on the floor, uh, wood, asphalt, shingles. You tell them all these features about your house and they're going to spit out a value and that will become coverage A. So the bigger your house, the bigger coverage A is. The smaller your house, the smaller coverage A is. And then all the other coverages pretty much become a percentage of A. So let's talk about that. So dwelling is the walls and the roof, the main structure of the house, and anything attached to it. If you have a garage that's built in to your house, the garage is also part of A. And I love when you think about A, it's the the roof and the walls, right, the walls and the roof, coverage A. Um, Now B is other structures, other structures other structures. And this, the memory trick for here, this is like the shed. It's it's any building that is on the property that is not attached to A. If it was attached to A, it would be A. But if there's a separation and there's a division, if there's a shed, a, a detached garage, a gazebo, any building that is on the property, is, is other structures. So the memory trick for that one is B is for buildings in the backyard. So B is buildings in the backyard. It's any structure that is on the property not attached to coverage A. And that will come at, an, at a standard 10% of A. So if A is 100,000, B would be 10,000. If A was 200,000, B would be 20,000. Whatever A is, B is 10% of A, okay? So B is 10% of A and it's buildings in the backyard. Uh, C is known as contents or sometimes they'll use the phrase personal property and both honestly work, no problem. Personal property, both of them work. Contents, personal property. This is your clothes, your shoes, your furniture, your pots, your pants, your makeup, your shampoo, like anything that you would put in a U-Haul and take with you is contents or personal property. And this one comes at a standard of 50% of A, 50% of whatever A is. D is that loss of use, loss of use, and it comes with two different things, the fair rental value, fair rental value, and the additional living. So if the house burns down, if you notice too, um, A, B, and C are all direct coverages, direct losses, D is indirect. D is the loss of use. If the house burns down, I can't stay at the house anymore. So the fair rental value is if you're renting a bedroom. So let's say you're renting out your guest bedroom for 500 a month. The house burns down, your tenant is not going to be paying you 500 a month anymore. They don't live there. The house is burned down. You're missing that rent money and your insurance company will pay you that rent money. Additional living, you have to go to a hotel. Your um, insurer will pay the uh, cost of you going to a hotel. Now D is a standard uh, 30, but oh, that one's a five. Let me say, almost looks like a three. Let me fix this one. So C is 50, that's a strong five, there you go. And D is 30%. So D is 30% of A. And you use it between the two. You could use it all for fair rental value. You could use it all for additional living. You can go half and half, whatever. You get 30% of A for both of these. Use it how you need it. But when the money runs out, the money runs out. So if you use all 30% and they haven't finished rebuilding the house, you're on your own. This is why you got to make sure you're in a a moderately priced hotel. (laughs) Don't stay at the most fancy hotel if it's really big repairs. Because if it's really big repairs, it could take a really long time. So you want a cheaper hotel. So with loss of use, you gotta be careful because if you run out of money, you run out of money. And they will pay this until the repairs are made or until the money runs out. That's loss of use. Now the other two, E and F, are section two liability. This is the other people, so not you, but other people, guests, or friends, or or anyone who comes over to your house, or if you're walking out in public and you hurt somebody, or your um, your kid beats someone at the playground, liability is for all of that. So you have uh, coverage E is known as liability liability and liability is usually in the hundred thousands of dollars so these three dollar signs are indicating that at a minimum it's a hundred thousand dollars now liability says that you are at fault you are at fault you are guilty for whatever it is that they're saying you did if it pays out it means that you're guilty your dog bites somebody that's coverage e your kid beats someone on the playground, coverage E. Someone slips down your stairs, coverage E. So it's liability is when you're guilty and somebody gets hurt, your homeowners will pay their medical bills. Okay, that's liability, guilty. That's a, It's They use the word at fault, but you wanna think guilty. You're guilty, liability, It's when the doggy bites you. (laughs) Doggy, guilty, liability, coverage, E. That's liability. F is not at fault. F is called medical payments or MedPay. Medical payments or MedPay. This one is a lot less money. It's like 3,000, 5,000, maybe 10,000. But this one says you are not at fault. You are not guilty. And that is coverage F. So I like to say that coverage F is for like friends, like someone who comes over and they hurt themselves on your stairs, but they don't blame you. They're like, oh, I just, I fell, I slipped. I need to go to a chiropractor, but I'm not trying to sue you. When you think about coverage E, that's like somebody who wants to sue you. So I think of E as enemy. They wanna sue you, they're your enemy. When we think of F, it's more like friends, they're not trying to get too much money out of you. It's kind of like a good neighbor kind of thing. Oh, I feel bad that you fell at my house. So here's the money to go to the chiropractor. So E liability is for enemies, people who wanna sue you for everything. F is for friends. Um, they, they need money for their copay, their chiropractor bill, but they're not trying to like, sue you, sue you, okay? um cool okay so that's coverage a F. now like i said pretty much every homeowner's policy um has all of those coverages unless it it's a different type so let's talk about the different types of homeowners so types of homeowners now these when we say types we're kind of talking about the the type of property it is. So if you have a, let's do a color you can see easy. If you have an HO2345, that's just for a regular house. Like nothing special about it, it's just a house. You choose these, Zuzu, leave grandma alone. Thank you, come here, come here. Nope. Okay. You just settle down. Quit barking. Sorry, my little chihuahua's barking at grandma because he wants dinner. Uh, Okay. So HO2, three or five is a regular house. You choose the type of policy based on the amount of coverages that you want. Like we said, an HO2 is going to be a named peril. So, and it's broad. HO2 is named broad. It's going to be the broadest of the named perils. So, of all the perils that they're willing to cover and name, that'll be on an HO2 and it's broad. An HO3 is called special because it's open, open perils, which makes it special. But it's also special in that it's not completely open. So, we're going to talk about that in a second. HO5 is known as comprehensive, it covers the best. Um, comprehensive, H-O-5 is the best thing you can have um, because it's, it's open open. So let me explain what this means here with the three, three and a five. If we have a house and we have, and then you have the stuff inside, okay? So you have the walls and the roof and then the stuff inside, like this is coverage A and this is coverage C, right? So the A is the walls and the roof. C is the stuff inside. An HO3, HO3 is open on the walls and the roof, and that's it. And it is named on coverage C. So coverage C on an HO3 is actually named. So what they're saying there is uh, the walls and the roof are open perils. Whatever happens to the walls and the roof will be covered as long as it's not excluded. And that's the walls and the roof only on an HO3. Inside the house, the clothes, the shoes, the furniture, the pots and pans, it has to be a named peril in order for the stuff to be covered. So on the inside of an HO3, it it looks more like an HO2, that the stuff, the clothes, the shoes, the furniture, those are named peril. An H-O-5 is unique because an H-O-5 will say H-O-5 is open, 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 open. It's open on A and open on C. So it's totally open. Where an h 3 is, is kind of like an in-between and a 2 and a 5. Where a 3 is name, name, everything is named. And, and then a 5, everything is open. A 3 is right in between. So we would say on a three, we would say A is open and C is named. On a five, we would say A is open and C is open. Does that that make sense to everybody? Because that's one of the questions I love to ask. Okay, cool. All right, then we have a um, HO. HO4 is renters and your memory trick there is for rent. An HO4 is for rent. It's when you don't own the property and it actually, with an HO4, you actually start at coverage C. There is no A or B on an HO4 because there's no reason to have an A and B on an HO4. So it starts at coverage C and that's, and it really doesn't, knowing that they don't even really test you on that. It's just understanding that with an HO4, there's no walls and roof. We're starting that coverage C because the person, the tenant who lives there, they only care about their stuff. Then we have an HO6, which is a condo. And this is for upgrades. Now, what I mean by that, when you buy a condo, that means that there's a big old building and you own one little unit and someone else owns the rest of it. You own one little unit. Someone else owns the rest of it. If your condo building was to burn down, the person who owns the rest of it would actually rebuild the building. So there's someone who owns the condo building itself. They will rebuild it. They will even rebuild your unit but they're gonna rebuild your unit to what we would call as a base model. The cheapest paint, the cheapest flooring, the cheapest countertop, the cheapest doors, the cheapest doorknobs, the cheapest lighting structure. The condo owner of the big condo building will rebuild your unit to the cheapest possible model, but they will rebuild it fully and completely. Your HO6 policy is what you would use to bring up, like if you don't want the Formica countertops, you want your granite countertops, you would need to use your condo policy to pay for the extra money needed to get the granite countertops. So an H06 actually has a very small A. You only put as much A as you need for your upgrades. Um, and then with the six, so with the with the six you have A is based on your upgrades, If you have B, it's very rare to own a separate building when you have B, or when you have a condo, but if you do, what they do is they'll tell you to roll it into A. So they'll say, do you have a shed? If you say no, they'll say, no problem, move on. They won't even talk more about it. If you do say you have a shed or a garage from the condo, they'll say, okay, how much is it worth? it's worth 10,000 great. We'll put that in coverage A. So instead of having a separate B, they just take whatever you need for the separate building and put it into coverage A. All right, last, a homeowner's type is an HO8. HO8. This is called a modified policy. Modified policy. Now, what they've modified, what, what what is weird about an HOA? An HOA is basically for an old house. And what I mean by old is it's still old, outdated old, not upgraded old, never remodeled old, like built in the 70s, looks like it's from the 70s, still has the 70s features in it. Like is an old house. And specifically what we mean by that is when the market value the market value is less than less than rebuilt what do we mean by that market value is what you can buy and sell a house for and when you buy and sell a house you're not only selling the house but you're selling the land the property value the neighborhood the popularity of the neighborhood typically when you buy a house you're spending a lot more money than what it would cost to build the house usually you can you know you build the house for you know 150 you could sell the house on the land in the neighborhood for like 300 because that's the cost of the land the neighborhood etc HOA policies are where you can buy and sell the house on the land for cheaper then it, what it would be to rebuild it. And insurance companies don't like that because what could happen with that? Like this happened to my cousin. This is a very Michigan thing. <laughs> Michigan houses are cheap to buy the, My, my cousin bought a three bedroom house for like 15,000. It's like a three bedroom house that if it completely burned down, the insurance would have need to have spent 200,000 to rebuild it. He only paid 15 to get it. They do not like that They because what's What's likely is my, it would be very enticing for my cousin to simply light a match, let the house burn down that he only paid fifteen for, and have a brand new one built for two hundred thousand. So when you have an old house like that, when the market value is way low and the rebuild is high, then they were they they give you an H an HO8 policy where they give you limited perils, limited perils. So an HOA is a named peril policy, but it has way less than a two or a four or a six. It's very limited. It it kind of looks like a DP one almost with how limited it is. The one biggest thing that is limited that you wanna know is a thousand dollar theft limit. A thousand dollar theft on premise only. I'm almost done, mama, I'll take them. Okay. So a $1,000 theft limit on premise only. What does this mean? If things are, um, if if any other homeowners, you have a two, you have a five, you have a six, you have a four, any other homeowners is going to be anything that's stolen anywhere is covered. Like if I have a backpack and I go to Starbucks and it's got my laptop in it, If I have a four, a six, a three, a five, whatever, that backpack will be covered. My homeowners will pay me for that backpack being stolen, not on an eight. An eight says that in order for it to be covered, it has to have been stolen at the house. So someone will need to steal it from the house in order for it to be covered. And it's only covered for thousand dollars anyway, which is wild. So an HOA is modified. It's when the market value is less than rebuild. They have very limited perils on it. And theft is, is limited to $1,000 on premise only. The other thing about an HOA is all, others, at all other policies, when they cover trees, it's $500 per tree. With the old house or market value, it's uh, with the HOA, it's actually $250 per tree. So they limit the perils for like everything on the HOA. It's very restricted, very limited because they just really don't like you barely paying anything for the house, but they have to cover it fully and completely. So they try to limit as many perils as they can and then limit the the claims as well, especially with that thousand dollar theft limit. Okay. So one, I know that we're at our time and we haven't even talked about like auto yet so what i want to do right now is um answer any question that you guys have um and if it takes us a little bit to get all the questions answered let's do that but you got a really good summary on um homeowners and i also i have a ton of notes for auto and homeowners too and if you leave a review on my facebook page or my linkedin page for this boot camp, I will send you all of those notes. Um, some people have to pay for them, so you're going to get them all for free with just a review of the boot camp class. So you're going to get a lot of notes that will help you out as well. So, what are um, any questions? I know um, Hassan, you had some questions you wanted to ask.
1: Um, you you answered a lot. Um, I just wanted to know when primary versus excessive insurance would kick in and what co-insurance I, I was struggling a little bit with co-insurance I know it's 80% of replacement cost but as an idea it, it's still not that clear if you can use maybe like simple terms to perfect explain. yep
0: Yeah. do you guys let's if you guys are okay with this I'm good to stay on for a little bit but if I could have like a five minute break to take care of my <laughs> dog <laughs> Yeah. so um this so if anybody has to go this is going to be recorded anyway um let me actually pause the recording right now so if you have to go that's fine but i'm willing to, to stick around for a minute oh i lost my controls how do i get those back i forget how to function on zoom oh i hit the escape button okay okay so let's do a, a... here we go Okay. So we're going to talk about co-insurance right now. Co-insurance. Okay. So what is, what is co-insurance? The first thing we need to talk about is something called insurance to value, which is not something you're going to be tested on really, but it, it might be in your book insurance to value. And what that means is that If the goal of the insurance company is to rebuild your house, if it burns down, like that's the worst thing essentially that can happen to your house is that it's completely destroyed in a fire. And the goal of the insurance company is to rebuild it. Insurance to value says that you carry as much coverage as it would take to do that. So remember how we talked about coverage A, Is going to be based on your house, based on the rebuild price. That if you have a one bedroom house, it'll be coverage A will be small. But if you have a huge 20 bedroom house, coverage A will be big. That's insurance to value. You should insure your house for as much as it would cost for them to rebuild it. You should insure your house for as much as it would cost for them to rebuild it. That's insurance to value. Okay. So there are some people that will say I don't want to cover it for that much because honestly and truthfully they know that it is very unlikely that their house will actually burn down to the ground. In fact, the majority of homeowners claims are 25,000 or less. So 25,000 or less. Most people will never file a homeowners claim and if they do it'll be for 25,000 or less but insurance companies are asking people to insure their house for 300,000, 200,000 whatever it is so co-insurance is a way to kind of kind of meet each other in middle ground one it is important that if the house burns down there is more than there is enough money to rebuild it so we do need an adequate amount of money But then we also need to recognize that most people won't have a homeowner's claim and insuring it for that big of a value is not fair to some extent. So they invented co-insurance. And what co-insurance says is cover most of it. If you can cover most of it, we'll be happy. No question, we'll cover all the claims, no big deal. Most of it to them means 80%. So if you cover it at, why did my eight look weird? Most of it to them means 80%. So what we're saying here is if they say that coverage A should be 100,000, they will be okay if you cover it at 80,000. And if you do that, they're cool. They'll pay all the claims. They won't do anything weird. Everything will be covered as normal if you're within 80%. Now. If your whole house did burn down and you were only carrying 80, you're gonna have to come up with the other 20. So you're gonna be SOL if that happened to you. But for most people that will never happen. So they're okay with it. They're comfortable with it because an $80,000 coverage A will be a lot less premium than a $100,000 coverage A. Like you, Like this is why people wanna go lower. If you're carrying, the big coverage, A, that's going to be a big premium. By dropping it down 80%, it'll lower the premium. So people are, are eager to do it. But insurance companies, covering at 80% is still not a good idea. <laughs> you should cover it at 100 because you just never know. And like like with inflation right now, the price of wood is way more. The materials to build a house, way more. We never know when the economy is going to do that. And if your insurance company is, even if they're covering it at 100% of the current rebuild and then inflation shoots up and now your rebuild is here, but you're only covering here, that's a world of hurt that you're in. You don't want to be there. So when you're covering at 80, you're all the way down here (laughs) and the inflation is up here. So you want to cover it to 80%. You want to cover it completely and fully. But this option is for the people who just hate the idea of having enough coverage? They're like lowest premium possible. So they say, okay, can you at least cover 80%? And if you do cover at least 80, they're cool, everything is fine. Coinsurance is what kicks in when you want to pay less than 80. And coinsurance is like the insurance company is saying, oh, you want to be cheap, we'll be cheap. So here's here's how coinsurance works. Okay, so let's let's look at a scenario. Let's say that we've got Mr. Bob here, and he has a hundred thousand. So let's say the rebuild on this is a hundred thousand. Um, that's a really small number, but I like they use nice whole round numbers, so that's what I like to do too. So we're saying that the rebuild on this is 100,000. And that's what coverage A should be at is whatever the rebuild is. Rebuild or replacement. They might use that word. Be prepared to see that word. Replacement or rebuild, same thing. They say it's 100,000. That's what they want you to put coverage A at. And the guy's like, no, I don't want to carry 100,000. That premium is too big. I want to carry lower than that then they'll say, okay, we will go eight, eight, 80,000. How about that? Which is 80%. If you go where everything is good, they're happy with that. And if you do that, all is well. But let's say he wants to go even lower. Let's say he only wants to cover 50,000. They say, okay, we'll let you cover it at 50,000, but just understand that when you file a claim, we're not gonna pay the full claim because you're not covering the full house. If you think about it, if you're covering the full 100,000, that means you're covering the full house. If you're covering only 80%, that means you're covering the house, but not the attic in a way. If you're only covering 50%, you're only covering half the house. The other half isn't covered in the terms of value. So if you were to have a claim and you're only covering half the house, is it fair that they have to pay the full claim when you're only covering half the house? It's not fair. When you go less than 80, when you go less than 80%, they will do the coinsurance equation. They will do the coinsurance equation. So here's what they're gonna do. So let's say, um, uh, so I know I, I just drew all these things here, Kind of showing the difference between how well, let me hide this sorry' it's floating in my way get rid of you hide meeting control okay so when we think about this so let's go back to this idea of, of having a house here so we have we have a house and we say that the oh and 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 so the rebuild is a hundred thousand and he decides to cover 50 and then let's say that there was a five thousand dollar fire okay now he's only covering half the house essentially with this 50,000. They will not pay the full value of the fire, but they won't go, we're just gonna cover half. They'll do what the coinsurance equation says. So here's the coinsurance equation. The coinsurance equation will is what you did carry divided by what you should carry. And here's something very important. The should carry is the 80% because they're cool with 80%. As long as you cover 80%, they won't do this equation. They only do this when you cover less than 80%. So the should carry is not the replacement, it's the 80%. And that is something you need to remember because doing this math, you need to put the should carry at the bottom The should carry is the 80,000, not the 100,000 in this example. So you put the should carry, which is 80%. You're gonna multiply that times the loss, which in our case was the $5,000 fire. And that will equal the claim payout. Okay, so did carry, he is going nuts. (laughs) My dog's going crazy right now. Did carry divided by should carry, times the loss equal the claim payout. So in our instance, it's gonna look like this. He did carry 50,000. He should have carried 80,000. We're gonna multiply that times the $5,000 file equal. Now you will be allowed a basic calculator on the, the exam. So whether they give you like a a, a tiny little A physical one, or they give you an electronic one, you should be getting a calculator for the exam. And what you want to do is you want to take this one step at a time. Don't go 50,000 divided by 80,000 times 5,000 equal. You need to break it up. You need to break it up. So the first thing you do is you do the did carry divided by the should carry. So he did carry 50,000 divided by 80,000 Equal hit the equal sign first, but then immediately hit the multiplication so times 5000 5000 equal 3125 3125 so of this $5,000 fire. They will only pay 3125 they will not pay the full claim because he wasn't carrying. At least 80 percent. If he was carrying at least 80, they would have. They would not have done this equation. So now that we've seen one, any questions so far? What I'm going to do next is show you another. Now that I've explained coinsurance, insurance insurance to value, we're going to do another example and kind of talk about the steps to figuring this out. Any questions so far? All right, so co-insurance questions, co-insurance. When we get a co-insurance questions, how do we figure it out? One, we need to know what is the 80% or what is 80% of rebuilt? So we need to know what is the 80%. The next question, are they carrying 80%? Uh, oh, well, uh, well, actually, not just say, are they within, or how would I say it? Um, not, well, not is the, the 80%. Sorry, 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 sorry. Let me reword this. The first question is Are they within hundred 80%? Are they carrying 80%? At least 80%. And then you have to ask yourself, yes or no. If the answer is yes, you are done. They're gonna pay the claim like normal. Whatever the claim is, they will pay the full claim. And I'll show you what I mean with that. If they are not carrying 80%, if the answer is no, then you have to go to step two, which is do the coinsurance equation. Do the coinsurance equation, which is the did carry divided by the should times the loss. Okay. So let me show you what I'm talking about. So if you get a coinsurance equation, those are the questions you're asking. So let's, let's keep those questions in mind and let's look at an example. They're going to give you a big old word problem. They're going to say, Bob bought a house and the rebuild of the house was 200,000, Bob decided to carry 160,000. He had a claim, a fire of 20,000. And then they will ask you, what did the insurer pay? What did the insurer pay? Okay, so let me reword this. Let me make sure we're all comfortable. This is the type of question you could see on the exam. And they're going to word it out all big and wordy using these numbers. And then you pull the numbers of what you need. So let's look at a let me tell you a potential problem. It'll be like Bob bought a house. The rebuild price of the house is 200000 Bob decided to carry a hundred and sixty thousand. Bob suffered a twenty thousand dollar fire. What will the insurer pay? That's how they word the question. So they're going to tell you the rebuild, tell you how much he decided to carry, tell you what the claim is, and then say what did the insurer pay. I so know. the the first thing we need to do. So we need to do step one is. Are they within 80% which means we need to find out 80% of 200,000 now when you need to find out 80% of something. You, you can use your calculator all you need to do in your calculator is this is how you punch it into your calculator. you're going to go like this. You're gonna put the number you're talking about. In our case, it's 200,000. So this number is the rebuild number. You're gonna put the multiplication sign. You're gonna put a decimal sign. You're gonna put eight, zero, and then you're gonna hit equal. You don't need to understand that. You just need to do that. So you put in the rebuild, whatever that number is, the multiplication sign times 0.80 equal. And that is 80% of 200,000. So it won't always be 200,000. It might be 300,000, it might be 150, it might be 170, whatever the number is. You take that number into the calculator, you hit the multiplication sign, 0.80 equal. You're basically converting 80% into a decimal so you can multiply it. You don't need to understand any of that though, that's just what you have to plug into the calculator. So. For just so make sure we understand, because I know some people math can be a tricky for someone. If 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 our rebuild, just so we can understand how this works, if our rebuild is 150 or 300,000, this is how we put it into the calculator. If we need 80% of 150, we're going to go 150 times 0.80 equal. 300,000 times 0.80 equal, whatever your number is, you put that in there times 0.80 equal and you're good. So let's look at our example. We have 200 that we need 80% of 200,000. So we're gonna clear this out. We're gonna do our rebuild number, whatever that is. In our example, it's 200. So we're gonna go 200 times multiplication sign times 0.80 decimal 80 equal 160 oh my gosh did i get right on the money 160 i don't even remember remember the i didn't even know that. <laughs> okay so question 1 are they carrying at least 80% he is carrying 160 which is exactly 80% if the answer is yes We're done. Our answer is they will pay $20,000. We only do step two if they're not carrying at least 80. In this example, he's carrying exactly 80. We're good. They will pay the full claim. So in this case, our answer will be they will pay 20,000. Boom, we're done. This one didn't require step two. Some of the coinsurance math problems are not you have to do 80% and then you have to do the equation. Some are end at 80% as long as they are carrying 80 or more. If he was carrying 170, he's good. Carrying 190, he's good. Carrying 161, he's good. Anything 160 or higher, they will pay the full claim. So they will pay the full claim as long as he's within 80%. Any questions?
1: Yes, the follow-up question: If the whole house um, is burnt, now he's carrying only up to eighty percent. Are they going to pay one hundred and sixty? Are they going to pay two hundred to rebuild it?
0: He's going to get only one six. He's only going to get whatever he's carrying, which is one hundred and sixty.
1: Okay. So he would be
0: out forty thousand or a bedroom <laughs> if he needed uh, to rebuild.
1: Yeah. Just making the insurance company say this is the least I'm good at with co-insurance per se but what when the whole house burns down he still has to cover whatever's the gap between the 80 and 100 okay. yes
0: okay. and he's gambling that it won't because it is rare that it does okay. it's not it's not nor how many people do you know that their whole house is burned out
1: uh metro detroit a lot
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> detroit yeah <laughs> My mom's laughing, we're in Michigan right now. <laughs> in Metro, <laughs> people are burning their houses down on purpose in Michigan so they can get new ones rebuilt, which is why they gave us those HOA policies. <laughs> yeah,
1: it happens a lot in Michigan.
0: Yes, yes, but from uh, most places you, you don't know. It's just rarely if ever happens, you know? Okay, so let's do another problem and I'll make sure that this problem we have to do step two. Okay, so let's say, and again, you're gonna have the same sort of scenario. They're gonna tell you, okay. They're gonna say, okay, rebuild. Let's say rebuild is um, three hundred thousand. Oops, three hundred thousand. He decided to carry. Um, let's do two. Two. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna make sure we we have a, a, a less number. He decided to carry two hundred thousand. And then he had a claim for 30,000. So again, this is gonna be a wordy problem. It's gonna go so-and-so at a house where the rebuild is 300,000. He decided to only carry 200,000. There was a $30,000 fire. How much will the insurer pay? That's how they pretty much word all these questions. So step one, we have to find out the 80%. Is he carrying 80% of 300,000? So in our calculator, we go 300,000. I know that looks like a six. Why do I do that? My O's look like sixes or whatever. 300,000 times 0.80 equal. So we get our handy dandy calculator. We clear it all out. 300,000 times 0.80 zero equal 240. He would have needed to carry 240 in order to have this claim fully paid for. He's only carrying 200. He is less than 80%. And if we go back to our rules, what does it say if you're less than 80%? Are they carrying at least 80? No, no, he's not we need to do number two, which is do the co-insurance equation. So if they're ever less than 80, we have to do the co-insurance equation. So now for this one, we're going to do co-insurance. So remember, co-insurance is did carry divided by should carry. Here's where people mess up is they will set this up. They'll say he did carry 200,000 and then they'll go divided by and they'll put 300,000 down here. They'll put the rebuild down here. No, they want the 80%. So 240 will go down here, not the 300. Make sure that you understand this bottom number is the 80% number, right? Don't put that in, don't put it in the equation, but just remember that this is the 80% number. Then we're gonna multiply that times the loss, which was 30,000 and that will be our final answer. So let's get our calculator. We have 200,000, take it one step at a time. 200,000 divided by 240,000 equal, hit the equal sign because it's too dumb to handle the next step. The calculator's too dumb, it's too simple. So hit the equal sign, but don't look at this yet. Not your final answer. You got one more step times 30,000 equal 25. That is how much they will pay. That is your final answer. So we always do one, are they within 80%? If they are within 80%, they will pay the full claim if they are less than 80% we have to do the whole coinsurance equation did carry divided by should carry times the loss equal the claim's payout now as part of my notes i actually have everything i've pretty much just said all typed out in words that you can read and slowly allow to sink in i also have three or four different math examples in those notes so if you want to be able to sit with the notes a little bit longer and have the, um, you know, ability to kind of do some practice questions with it, that'll all be in my notes. But do you have any questions right now or
1: uh, any... I get it very well.
0: Okay. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Okay, was there any other questions that you guys had? Did you have me live right now?
1: So just overall, if, I, if... You know, I don't want to take all the questions, but just overall, I Have some notes here, like when it comes to like, who's insured, it, it's different between, you know, chapter and the next overall. Am I, am I really memorizing who's insured per chapter? No. Okay, good. And then as far as the conditions per chapter, am I m- memorizing or just knowing what each condition is? What I it, what would only
0: is. know what conditions are, which are the rules, duties, and obligations. That's it. And the one other condition would be the duties after a loss. So the duties after a loss, you want to know that. And this should be a common sense list. Notify the insurer. Communicate right. with the insurer. Allow them to inspect the property, like simple things.
1: Okay. The two
0: other conditions that I think are memory specific would be you have to call 911 in the event of a theft or hit and run. Nine one one theft hit and run. Nine one one theft hit and run. Nine one one theft hit and run.
1: Yeah, but I'm CTP, sitting here memorizing
0: CTP, BOP, Uh-uh. I wouldn't worry about any of those.
1: I'm sitting here memorizing this stuff, and, and and it's been like four weeks now, and I'm like, I just don't know if I can fully decipher, you know, decipher between everything. No.
0: So I would memorize the name So like, um, with homeowner dwelling homeowners, do you want to remember the names. DP one basic, DP two broad, DP three special, coverage A structure, coverage B other structures, coverage C personal property, coverage D uh, loss of use, coverage E liability, coverage F medical payments. Memorize those things. Memorize HO, HO two broad, HO three special, HO five comprehensive, HO four renters, HO six condo, HO eight house. Those are the things to memorize. And then name peril versus
1: open peril too. Right, and then as far as the territories between the chapters, because some of them include Canada, some of them include Puerto Rico, don't care. Oh, okay, okay, okay.
0: U.S. It. and its properties. What was that? U.S. and its properties, that's all they care about.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, Canada is cool, Mexico not. But other than that, yeah. Right. That, <laughs> they almost right? never ask those questions. Michigan, they might get a little particular because you're next to Canada um but canada is covered you're covered going into canada and any other u.s territory any property that we own guam puerto rico um that's all covered but they don't even really ask about that
1: all the possessions yeah okay. uh payment of loss i think that's the last thing i have on my list here um what do i need to know
0: um what, payment of, you want to i think for every state is a little bit different but Usually it's 30 to 60 days. You wanna know how quickly they have to pay you. Usually with homeowners, they say in 30 days, they have to tell you if they're gonna repair or replace. And then by day 60, they need to pay you. Okay.
1: So all those numbers outside of, cause I know you said when it when it came to the insurance regulation, focus on the numbers. But when it comes to the, the other chapters, are we also? No, and I'm sitting here writing these numbers down, flashcards with numbers
0: the numbers they may ask you would be how how quickly do they need to pay you which is usually 30 to 60 days every state's a little bit different um 72 hours for earthquake $500 per tree um, that's about oh, it oh, that and, then, <laughs> and then um, what i would recommend for like commercial and and BOP cuz like those are there's a really hard to really study, understand, and memorize. But what you can do as you're studying them or looking at them or just quickly reading past them because you don't even need to super study them, what number do you see the most? You tend to see a number uh, 10, like either um, oh, um, 10,000, 100,000, or like with commercial, you tend to see 25 a lot, 2,500, 25,000, So like when you're taking the exam and you don't really know the number, look for a number that starts with 10 or 25 and you're more likely to be correct than not. Like just find the most common numbers and choose that number every time. And you're just more likely to be right than wrong. Like a hundred feet is very common in commercial. Just always pick a hundred feet because you're more likely to be correct than not. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I think I'm good. Like okay, I think
0: the one other thing you said was primary versus excess. I just remembered that.
1: Yes, I don't know if that's actually in the ones that you um, highlighted as uh, red, though.
0: It, it could, it can be. Um, it, it's usually in either the insurance terms and related concepts or general insurance or PNC basics, so it can be. So um, the, the, the main type is like you have home and you have auto, and these would be your primary policies. They would be primary. Primary means pay first. They will pay first. There's another policy called the umbrella, which will ride on top of the home and auto. So like the most you can get, like for auto would be like 300,000 per person. But imagine if you were in a car accident so bad that you paralyzed a person. And for the rest of their life, they're now paralyzed and have a ton of medical bills and a ton of medical stuff. Um, the auto won't be enough. So if you're a person who has a lot of money in the bank, that means that someone would love to sue you if you hit them, right? You want to protect your money in the bank. And you do that by getting an umbrella policy. And it rides on top of the home and auto. And at and, and, and a, and a, and a minimum, it starts at 1 million. So you crash into someone, you paralyze them. Your auto pays out 300,000. You go to the umbrella for what's left. Your dog bites someone, horribly mangles them. You spend all the money you have on your homeowners. You go to the umbrella for what's left. The umbrella is the excess. It's what pays after primary. primary. So primary pays first. Home and auto pay first. They're the primary policies. You exhaust them. Then you use the umbrella to pay what's left instead of being sued for the rest. Got it. Yeah.
1: So excess sec primary first excess second. Yeah, I think the just overall the way that exam FX has their mod uh, chapters, it makes it seem like you need to study a, you know a lot more to get the quizzes and the tests. But then when you're focusing on the actual test, it's way different. And I think yeah. that that has to do with the pre licensing more than actually taking the test. And that's yeah. right. Yeah,
0: because so they're required to like, put down everything, like, Mm -hmm. like, in order to be able to be a an approved licensed provider, they have to put down everything, all the information, but ultimately, they can only ask you so many questions, right? They're like 15% of the exam may be, you know, homeowners of there can only be so many questions they ask you, and they don't tend to ask the little detailed stuff. The quiz questions do, but not the state exam. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so stay, stick to, to big stuff. The names of coverages, the names of policies, the definitions of like, you know, insuring agreement, declaration, stuff like that. They're not gonna ask the big, heavy, tiny little details like that. They just don't have enough space to do that. Okay. All right, let me, where's my Zoom controls again? Okay. All right, one thing